good evening, and welcome to Nighty Night with Rabia Chaudhry. Bedtime stories to keep you awake. I'm DJ Lou Bell, the show's producer. Tonight's episode is about a man who, let's just say, is experiencing a little bit of a transition in his life. Please enjoy Invasive Species. When Conrad Davidson awoke one morning, he found himself scratching at an old bug bite on his left arm. He must have started scratching in his sleep because it was already red and stinging when he woke up. He lifted it up into the light for a better look and sure enough, there it was. A small reddish dot in the midst of the pink scratch lines from his own nails. It had been years since Conrad felt that old bite itch. Ever since he'd actually received it. It had been during a college class when he'd just been starting out his journey into the entomology world. The class had gone outdoors, Conrad couldn't even remember to do what, when he felt something slightly more sharp than a mosquito bite on his arm. He instinctively shook it, trying to clear the pest, but the scientist part of his brain wished that he hadn't. He wished he could have gotten a good look at the culprit before the animal part of his brain reacted. As the insect flew away, Conrad only got a brief look at what bit him. It looked almost like a moth, something furry, but Conrad wasn't able to identify it properly. It flew away the second he shook his arm, morning sunlight glinting off of it as it hit the bright wings at an angle. All Conrad really saw was a flash of light, and then the perpetrator was gone. No one had thought much of it at the time, including Conrad. A bug bite was just a hazard of the job. And that was so long ago. Now Conrad had a vastly different type of bug to worry about. Brood X. It was a scientific certainty that they were coming back. One that had been proved to be correct cycle after cycle. For someone like Conrad, this was like Christmas. Even better than Christmas. That came once a year. The batch of cicadas that invaded the East Coast called Brood X only came once every 17 years. On the surface, it sounded like something out of a horror novel, a monster that returns cycle after cycle to inflict terror on the surrounding populace. Conrad was sure that he'd seen that plot before, and he remembered what this felt like 17 years ago. He was only a kid then, but already he was ecstatic at the brood's impending arrival when everyone else seemed terrified. It was a chance to study something new, something rare, something he'd never before seen in his life. Conrad had been interested in insects ever since he was a child. If anything, he was obsessed with them. That was about the only prototypical boy thing he'd ever been into. He'd never cared for sports, had never been a big dater, and because of those things, Conrad had always been on the receiving end of various childhood teasing. Even when it came to his fascination with the bugs themselves, he never did what you would expect a little boy to do. He never frightened girls with them. He never kept them in jars, and he certainly wasn't the kind to pin a butterfly's wings down under glass. That was too inhumane. He never wanted to trap any of them like that. He much preferred to observe them in their natural environment. And so he followed his passions, became an entomologist, and it was here that he found himself, like other entomologists, hotly awaiting the arrival of the infamous Brood X. The timing was right. It was perfect. 
but beyond the scientific evidence, beyond everything that told him they were returning, Conrad could feel it. He felt it in his bones, even though he wasn't quite sure why that was. Conrad looked into the sky, into the trees outside his lab, and he could feel something in his very core, something that he, with all of his scientific knowledge, still didn't know how to identify. Was this how dogs felt before a storm, or how salmon knew to swim upstream? Were these things in nature just known? What, he wondered, was this vestigial thing inside him, and why was he the only one who felt it the way he did? Though others weren't as enthusiastic as Conrad, everyone in his region was anticipating the return of the brood with some mixture of worry and excitement. A swarm of cicadas emerging from the ground every 17 years to essentially scream, fuck, and die? It was every millennial's dream, some people joked. Many were getting obsessed with the impending invasion. They crocheted cicadas onto pillows, devised recipes with them, recorded quick videos of backyard trees where some had hatched early and had begun singing. Cicada sightings reported all across social media, and videos and posts made references to the fly, both the Vincent Price and Jeff Goldblum versions. Conrad sensed the deeper urgencies in all these posts and tweets and videos. He could tell that a part of the obsession was a bit of genuine fear, even though cicadas were completely harmless. Sure, they were big bugs, and big bugs are scary to a lot of people, especially if they're also loud and clumsy, and therefore had a tendency to fly at you, or, God forbid, land on you. But the cicadas didn't even have mouths. So yeah, their whole purpose was in fact to wake up, scream to find a mate, fuck them, and then die. They didn't even need to waste time eating. Conrad was excited about the whole thing, but there was another sense that grew stronger every day. A sixth sense that he could feel them began their descent up through the ground. It was like he had developed a superpower, a connection to the brood he couldn't explain. In some moments, he thought he could even hear them collectively, a gently buzzing roll that came from within the earth itself. And the closer the brood came, his itch worsened. Maybe it was just his anxiety. He couldn't keep his fingers away from it, desperate not to itch. He would rub it, smear it with antihistamine and anti-itch creams, and yet it still itched. And he could have sworn the bruise around the bite was growing and hardening. He felt crazy thinking it, but it seemed the closer that Brood X got to emerging onto the surface, something was emerging from his skin too. When the brood finally arrived, it did so slowly. That wasn't how people expected it to be. The general expectation seemed to be that everyone would wake up one day and there would just be cicadas everywhere, that the skies and the trees would be filled with them. And sure, that might be how it felt to some people who weren't entirely paying attention, but in truth, the brood emerged gradually, and some had long prepared for it. Conrad tried not to scratch his growing, bruised bite as he drove through his neighborhood, looking at sapling after sapling covered in netting, special sheets designed to protect the young trees from the incoming cicadas. It looked like people were bracing for war. Conrad saw cicadas in small bursts at first, one flying through the air here, a molted shell on the ground there. There were always people who made beelines from the houses to their cars, as if they were expecting to be dive-bombed. And then there were those who forgot the brood was coming at all and only noticed when one flew past them too close to their face. Prepared or not, there was no ignoring them when the sound started. 
not a chance. The sound was what truly announced their presence, like the trees themselves were vibrating, singing the insects stirring songs. You could hear it outside. You could hear it inside. You could hear it over the television. No matter where Conrad went, he could still hear them. And just under their incessant buzzing, he heard something else. Not with his ears, but with his bones. Like the tinny ringing after you played music too loudly and then suddenly turned it off. He could hear it when he was inside his house, even as he went to bed. Even as he played his sound machine to help him get to sleep in the darkness. Then came that morning when Conrad awoke to find there was something terribly wrong with his arm. He remembered itching it in the night, in his sleep, remembered feeling the fiery harshness of it called to him in the strange way that itches do, like with poison ivy and mosquito bites, but so much worse. When his eyes opened, Conrad shot up, whipping pillows off his bed as he did, and pulled his arm out from under the blankets. As the haze from his eyes cleared, he focused down on his outstretched arm. The angry-looking red bite was thick now, scabby almost, like a patch of dry skin thickened to a turtle-shell hardness the color a dull brown. Immediately, Conrad knew exactly what it was, what he should call it, but he dared not say the word out loud. He knew it, and the echo of its truth bounced around inside his skull, the damage already done. He ran his finger over the raised hard surface. It wasn't skin anymore. It felt like the hard outer shell of so many insects that he'd examined. It felt like a carapace. Conrad pulled himself out of bed and wandered in the direction of the windows on the other side of the room, keeping his eyes on his arm the entire time. He didn't notice it on a conscious level, but Conrad didn't trip in his walk across the room despite not looking where he was going. Somehow he was just sure of what was in his path, like he could see multiple things at once, and for a moment he thought he really could. He blinked, sure that he saw a section of the wall taking up his vision even though he was staring at his arm, almost like that picture-in-picture -picture TV technology. No, he thought, not like that at all. It was like a fly's prismatic vision. Conrad pulled back his curtains and the room flooded with light but the light only confirmed his suspicion. The hardened carapace sat a few inches long and a few inches high on skin that had also changed, the color deepening, the skin thinner yet tougher. Suddenly, a question struck him. Why wasn't he afraid? That would have been a perfectly logical response. When he really thought about it, everything he knew told him he should be. He was a grown man who had suddenly woken up with an insect carapace growing across his left arm. He should have been horrified. And yet, to Conrad, it felt normal. He remembered the first time he ever noticed hair under his arms or on his pelvis. And he remembered that he wasn't scared then either. That was a totally normal process, one that he had been expecting ever since his human development unit in school. Then what was this? Was this supposed to happen as well? Was that why he felt completely calm? The only thing that Conrad worried about was someone else seeing what had happened to him. What would someone say if he walked outside and they saw the massive growth on his arm? He couldn't let that happen, he thought, as the ringing in his ears suddenly grew harsher, and somewhere within its buzzing he was able to put an image to his fear. 
Visions flashed through his mind of butterflies pinned under glass, wings beneath microscopes, a display wall filled with hundreds of glass-encased bodies. And Conrad saw himself up there, surrounded by other insects, pins through his hands and feet, like some kind of insect Christ kept to study. He couldn't let that happen. He couldn't go outside. Outside, where the cicadas began to sing as the morning came. And then he heard the scream. The screaming set off something primal in Conrad's brain, something he didn't know was there. The second he heard it, nothing else was even remotely important. Nothing, nothing in his life, nothing in the world. The scream ran through his brain like a hot knife, demanding all his attention. He leaned his face towards the window and squinted against the harsh sunlight, scanning the road to find the source of the screaming. He marveled at how normal, how unchanged the rest of his neighborhood looked. He saw a couple of saplings with netting over them, but otherwise there were still suburban houses, there were still cars, still people walking their dogs. But there was something else. There, in the middle of their quiet street, stood a woman in a robin's egg blue bathrobe. She wandered through the road in bare feet, the cord of a hairdryer wrapped around her wrist like she'd suddenly remembered something of vital importance in the middle of her morning routine. The woman had her head tilted up towards the clearing sky and was screaming at the top of her lungs as she puttered around. The dog walker steered clear of her, and the dogs either followed their master's cue, tail between their legs, or growled as they stood their ground. Something like a bolt of lightning struck Conrad. He grabbed his window and yanked it open, looking out across the road at the woman. He opened his mouth and began screaming too. To anyone else on the outside, it would have sounded like nothing, like gibberish, like madness. But to Conrad and to the woman, it made perfect sense. It was a new language, and as soon as it left Conrad's throat, the woman turned towards him, understanding it perfectly. He screamed again, and she understood, began to make her way out of the road and towards his house. Conrad, too, moved towards his front door. He threw it open, and when the woman saw him standing in the threshold, she picked up her pace. As she moved, her robe opened just slightly, just enough for Conrad to see a bit more of her neck and the carapace there, just like his own, that had begun to creep across her skin. Conrad held the door open, and she hurried inside. It wasn't personal. It was very impersonal, in fact. Distantly, there was some old part of Conrad, something buried deep inside that was more man than he was now, something or someone who would have acknowledged the attractiveness of the woman who had shown up at his door. But that person was long gone, replaced by a single, omnipotent urge, perpetuation. The woman felt the same. There was no such thing as attractiveness anymore, no such thing as a personal preference. All that mattered was the perpetuation of the species because there were so few of them, because they were so new, because there had never been anything like them before. As they did their duty to the strange new species, perpetuating, procreating, they were tuned into that familiar wavelength, the one Conrad tapped into to recognize the woman's screams, the one that opened up this whole new language to him. They both were tuned in, and from a distance they could hear similar screams, and they knew they weren't the only ones, that they would soon be joined by the rest of their broodmates. 
A little later, Conrad left the sleeping woman on his bed and looked outside. He closed his eyes and listened, and thought he could hear other screams coming in on the wind, others like him, others like her. Conrad was part of the whole now, part of something much bigger than himself, than the woman, than anyone else. He finally understood it. He knew what that thing was that made dogs feel the presence of storms, or what made salmon know how to swim upstream. Primordial, beyond recognition or consciousness, and it was inside him now. He couldn't put it into words, and that was the point. Humans use words, and even though humans were technically animals, they were something different entirely than every other living species. One urge satisfied, Conrad suddenly felt another inside him, telling him to dig. It wasn't a voice he heard or a suggestion that he considered. It was a compulsion. He needed to dig. That was it. A need. Something more powerful than he'd ever felt before. Still naked, Conrad went into his garage and fetched every major tool he possessed. A hammer, a sledgehammer, a shovel, a pickaxe. These would help him do what he needed to do. He carried them out and piled them into a corner of his yard. About halfway through his effort, the woman came out of his bedroom to look at the commotion. She stood on the threshold of his house, naked from the waist down. They exchanged no words. In fact, they hadn't spoken a single word to one another so far. And yet she knew exactly what was happening. Without a single syllable, without even a grunt, she began digging with Conrad. Conrad found his strength waning, and digging without the full use of one arm made things even more difficult. But he managed. He didn't have a choice but to keep going. Thankfully, the woman was there to help, and the presence of her carapace did not seem to encumber her movement. Theirs was not a task that needed to be fulfilled with speed, but with perfection. The whole needed to be just right, because it was his everything. It was their future. It was their nest. It was the thing that would nurture their transformation. Around them, neighbors gathered in their yards to watch them, but no one said a word. No one called the police or tried to stop them. It was as if they all knew that this too, like the cicadas whose buzz filled the air, was an act of nature they could only but witness and were powerless to stop. Finally, Conrad and his mate finished digging. They hadn't said a word the entire time, focused with obsession on the deepening hole, their bodies glistening with sweat where they weren't caked in dirt. They looked down at their handiwork, pleased. A hole six feet across and many feet down into the soft earth below. Conrad could see roots there, bits of rebar and concrete, hunks and husks of old wood, metal, the remnants of whatever his neighborhood had been built upon. Mounds of dirt were piled up on either side, close enough to the edges of the hole for the two of them to be able to pull it down over themselves. It was perfect. The ringing sound in Conrad's ears had finally stopped, and he knew it was because he'd listened to it, because he'd done what was needed to do and followed his instinct. And now it was time. Conrad leapt down into the hole fully naked. The woman took off her robe and pajama top and followed him. Without any deliberation or conversation, they scooped up the earth from the top of the hole down over themselves. They pulled more and more earth down until they were completely covered, buried and shut out from the rest of the world, at least for the time being. It was pitch dark down in the hole, but dark was good. It took a certain kind of darkness to make things, to birth things, and Conrad was a brand new thing. 
something that had never even been imagined before. This was the kind of dark that Conrad needed if he was going to become what he needed to be, what nature dictated he become. Conrad and his mate curled up together and he felt the metamorphosis begin. In the hole, Conrad melted. He completely and utterly disintegrated. He was aware of this fact as it was happening. He knew it as his hair and teeth fell out, as his skin sloughed off and his bones broke down. He knew this was exactly what happened to larvae in cocoons, but it was not this higher brain knowledge that comforted him. No, it was his instinct, that invisible thing inside him telling him that it would be all right, that this was how it was supposed to be. His body expanded and contracted with breath, but he was no longer breathing through his mouth or nose. His fingers flitted across tiny holes that had opened up in the sides of his torso, new ruptures that allowed him to breathe even buried deep in the dirt. He remembered they were called spiracles and felt comforted that they were there just as he expected. He found the whole experience strangely pleasant. He didn't exist anymore, but somehow he did. His physical form was gone. He was soup now, but he was still there, still thinking without a brain, still listening without ears, still breathing without lungs. Conrad couldn't see it, but the outside of his house was changing as well. In the same way that a single tree will draw hundreds, thousands of cicadas, Conrad's home drew others. Others who had been itching the same mysterious bite as him for weeks and months now. There was no netting that would have protected his house, not that he would ever have wanted to keep his broodmates away. And so dozens of them flocked to Conrad's home, drawn by an invisible, unknowable instinct to be together, to be where he was. Some still came screaming, looking for their mates, and others arrived already having fulfilled their urge to procreate. But they all arrived prepared, with shovels, trowels, axes, tools of all kinds, and began enacting the same ritual as Conrad and his mate. They began to dig. They dug anywhere there was earth available, most of them in the lawn around his home, but when they ran out of space, others spilled into the narrow strips of grass next to the sidewalk and into neighbors' lawns as frightened people peeked out of their windows. The neighbors watched in amazement and in horror as every single arrival to Conrad's property methodically buried themselves alive. Eventually, Conrad's property was silent. There was nothing anymore but the stillness after exertion. The tools used to dig the holes were abandoned, the mounds of dirt perfectly formed. The mounds scattered around Conrad's house weren't graves. Graves implied death. What was happening now below ground could not at all be considered death. Rather, there was new life being created. Shapes were emerging out of blobs of putrefied-looking liquid. So much was happening underground, and Conrad's consciousness was full of euphoria. He felt sheer joy and hope as his form shifted, swelled, and shrunk. He felt a distant warmth coming from all around him, from the other bodies that were transforming into something more beautiful and powerful than they had ever been. Outside, though, all was still, and neighbors, buried in their own way as they barred doors and pulled locks, continued to watch from behind curtains and out of second-floor windows. Something animal had struck them as well, a primal fear they couldn't identify. Something was happening, something other than the cicadas was coming, and they needed to return to their caves, their nests, for safety. 
but they couldn't look away. And then in that stillness, the beating of wings. It was near silent, impossible to hear if you had not been listening for it, but it was there. Soft at first and then louder and louder as more arrived. Individuals at first, dots of black in the too perfect blue of the sky. And then there was a sea of them, sunlight glistening off of luminescent wings. These were not cicadas, not the expected insects of Brood X. These didn't come out of the earth, they came out of the sky. And the only person who could have recognized them was currently buried in his own yard, unable to comprehend any thought more complex than the abstractions of his own current metamorphosis. He was something once, and was in the midst of becoming something else, and that was all that mattered now. These newcomers resembled some type of moth. Their bodies were covered in similar fine hair, gray and brown, blending in with the bark on the trees, but their wings were luminescent and shone brightly if they caught the sun at the right angle. Their antenna twitched as they shuffled about, legs rubbing together, singing in an insect communication that made no sense to anyone above ground. Dozens of the strange moths, hundreds of these insects who had been unknown until now, alighted in the trees around Conrad's house, in the bushes and on the house itself. And they waited. They didn't have to wait 17 years though. No, nothing so long as that. Brood X was arriving now, and Conrad's brood was meant to arrive with them. As cicadas hatched from molted shells on the sides of trees, houses, buildings, and bushes, Conrad's brood began to emerge as well. The earth shook with the weight of their waking. The ground cracked, and mere hours after they entered their strange, sleeping state, they emerged again, dirt rolling off of huge, bright green carapaces. They silently shook their bodies open and the sunlight reflected off their translucent blue-green wings. Around them, cicadas buzzed furiously, but not this brood, not Conrad's brood. This brood flew into the air on their enormous wings, howling at an unearthly pitch. Because unlike the harmless cicadas, this brood had mouths. This week's spooky story, which comes to us from writer Travis Madden, was inspired by several ideas, both fictional and real. Kafka's The Metamorphosis, where a man transforms into a giant insect, and the works of David Cronenberg, who often depicts horrific transformations of the body, were both fictional inspirations. The title of the story is, of course, based on the scientific concept of the invasive species, some of which are the kudzu vine, the cane toad, or illegally imported pythons who end up deposited in swamps by their owners. Historically, invasive species have usually completely upended the ecosystem into which they're introduced and are unstoppable without any natural predators and with no other organism knowing how to defend against them. The very real Brood X-10, or the Great Eastern Brood, were the primary source of reality-based inspiration for this story. Brood X is a massive swarm of cicadas that appears on the east coast of the United States once every 17 years, though their off-cycle appearances are mysteriously growing. After emerging from underground, the cicadas climb trees, molt, and then make loud screeching noises in order to attract a mate, after which they lay their eggs and begin to die off. The brood's earth-shattering noises can be heard inside buildings, swarms of them visible outside, and exoskeletons gathered on any unprotected tree. 
Their first known emergence occurred on May 9, 1715, and they have been reappearing every 17 years since. During their 2021 appearance, the brood appeared in such large numbers that President Biden's charter plane was actually grounded after cicadas clogged the plane's auxiliary power unit. After appearing in 2021, their next projected appearance is in the year 2038. Now, there are also very real, albeit very rare, genetic orders and mental conditions that inspired the transformations that took place in this story. First, there's the Harlequin type ichthyosis. Harlequin type ichthyosis is the most severe form of ichthyosis, a series of genetic skin disorders. Those who are afflicted possess skin that's formed into large, asymmetrically shaped cracks separated by deep fissures. The severe disorder, which is present from birth, very often causes the death of the patient. Epiderma dysplasia verruchiformis was the second condition that inspired the story. It is more humanly known as the tree man syndrome. Not as life-threatening, but equally rare, tree man syndrome causes bark-like lesions to grow out of a person's skin, usually on their hands and feet. The massive lesions make it look quite literally like the person is becoming a tree. Finally, the story was also inspired by a condition known as clinical lycanthropy. While linked most often with werewolves in the popular consciousness, only a minor amount of published clinical lycanthropy cases depict wolf or dog themes. Hyenas, cats, horses, dogs, tigers, frogs and foxes, and even bees have been reported subjects. These disorders are all combined and reimagined in the story to imagine what it would be like if someone actually woke one morning and found themselves transforming into a monstrous insect. Tonight's Tale was written by Travis Madden. Nighty Night is executive produced by Rabia Chaudhry and Colin Thompson. It's produced by DJ Lubell. It's sound designed and edited by Anton Doty. Original music by Andrew Gerlicker. Nighty Night is a cast original podcast. 